Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code STEVE, S-T-E-V-E. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOsports.com. The original moto podcast featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. Man needs no introduction. It's Tim Ferry. Red Dog, what's up? Oh, uh, man, not too much. Probably going to get me on the podcast, huh? I know. I can't believe we haven't done one of these. And, and and just to give people a heads up, there possibly could be a two-parter coming. This could be just one part. Because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to talk about, plus... Uh... Yeah, well, we did one of these before, didn't we? I thought, but the sound messed up. We did, but you were driving, and you're a soft-spoken guy, and it didn't sound very good at all. I don't know what happened to that. That's a couple years old now, maybe longer. I never put it out, never released it. Um, yeah, well, that, oh, that's, uh, that's footage that uh, somebody might be famous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you were still racing, then. That's how old. That's how long ago it was, and that was a long yeah. time ago. Um, hey, first off, <laughs> I guess, you're at the Honda Test Track with Trey Kennard, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but... How, do you miss it? Are you totally over it? Do you wish you were? St- I mean, you probably would have hung it up by now, anyways, had you not gotten hurt uh, with your heel. Maybe not, but but how are you doing in post racing life? You know, I I think I'm doing good. It, ch- it changes every year. I think uh, I think the first year or two, I still missed it and thought I could still be out there doing it. But I, I realize at this point, uh, like you said, I would be retired already. Right. Um, I'm 37 years old, 37 and a half. I'm still doing half at this age. Um, but uh, I would have been, been done already. So yeah. now I realize these, these kids are they're super fast. And uh, even though I'm still not a lot of motorcycle pretty good, there's a lot of young talent out there. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's all right now. You're, you, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I, you know, I've been good with it ever since, um, you know, since I retired, really. It's just. Uh, you know, it was just a, uh, a change of my, you know, pace of life and, you know, what I normally do. I've been riding motorcycles since I was seven. Right. And uh, professional since I was 16. So it's really the kind of the only thing I knew. So that was a little bit of a change, but this role that I have with Trey and uh, this past summer with Ashley and um, some of the other riders I've helped has uh, been a good transition for me. It's crazy. Um, and, I, and I try to tell people, I was trying to tell people that when you got hurt and when sort of when you were starting to retire. The guy's never had a job. He's known nothing else. He's either, if he's not waking up in the morning and riding a dirt bike, it's because he's injured from riding a dirt bike and he's rehabbing an injury. So put yourself in your shoes, right? Like, you know nothing else but riding a dirt bike for a living. It's got to be weird when you just stop it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely it definitely is very weird. Um, it's, uh, you know, luckily I think for the motocross guys, a little bit of it, as long as you don't become too much of a rock star, I mean, your friends are normal dudes. So right. um, I make normal livings, have normal jobs. So um, it's not like we're hanging out with 
we're not really hanging out with Hollywood people that, you know, yeah. are totally blinded. So, we, I mean, we see what the mechanics do. I'm like, all the mechanics are our friends and people who work on teams and stuff like that. So, the, um, But waking up in the morning and, like, at first maybe, like, you always – it had to have been weird. You're like, I don't have to go rod. I don't have to train. <laughs> I, I mean, what – you know what do you do? I guess Evan, your your son keeps you busy. Uh, you have two now, two kids. Uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, like it had to have been weird at first. You're like, I have no desire. I have nothing to get ready for. There's nothing coming up. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. You know, the hardest part for me, to be completely honest, it might sound really super weird to people, but I couldn't sleep, and uh, because I was so used to training nonstop all the time, and then I wasn't training. Right. And I was so I would lay down to go to sleep, and I was never tired. Um. I think the the what my body went through when I you know first retired was was mm-hmm. the hardest part. I tried to stay active, you know, with cycling and a little bit of riding and stuff. But when you don't have to get up and do it, um, you're not doing hours of cardio a day. So right. um, I think that was one of my biggest challenges, just adapting to you know my body to my new lifestyle. Yeah, well, it gets easier. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, I will lie. It's got it's gotten easier. So. Uh. Uh, How's that? And how's the injury? Obviously, the heel, heel slash foot problems uh, from Daytona crash basically ended your career. And I know you. I, I, when I see you now, you don't really walk with a limp too much. You did at first for a couple of years. You you were at a little stutter step, but uh, it seems to be better. Yeah, you know they told me it would take a year to two years, and uh, I thought they were crazy because it was just a bone. And uh, but yeah, between a year and two years, I got my best healing, and then. Uh, you know, off and on. Uh, you know, I'm doing really good, and then, like, I flew out here for I don't know what reason, but I flew out here to California a few days ago, and my foot started hurting again. So, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a nag. It's been a nagging deal. There's a few people that have broken it, um, so they kind of know you know know what I'm going through. But the uh, doctor told me my life would never be the same as far as uh, as the heel goes. So, mm-hmm. they're definitely right. And uh, I saw you made your racing comeback at Dade City a little bit. Chad Reed, pushing Chad Reed the whole way. How was that? The video made me look good, honestly. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that was fun. I mean, I, was, I thought he was joking the night before at, like, 10 or 11 at night through a text message. And then uh, the next morning, he was texting me again. I'm like, I think this guy's serious. <laughs> I think he really wants like, the race. <laughs> Man, I gotta now. I gotta go work. I gotta clean my filter. I gotta put a new tire on my bike. Uh, I haven't rode in a while, mm-hmm. and I probably hadn't rode in two or three weeks. So I was like, "All right." So I figured for sure he was gonna hang me out to dry, right? And um, I did not show up. But then he tweeted a picture, Instagram a picture of his bike and a truck, and um, yeah, the rest is history. It was, it was actually a really cool race. It was fun. Neither one of us, you know, I thought for sure I'm all man. He's gonna bring his mechanic and right. And all this stuff, but he came completely by himself. So that was, uh, that was a good day. I felt sorry for the third guy in that class. <laughs> I actually, I know the guy, the third guy in the class, and uh, he was pumped to be racing with us. So, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, no, it was all good. Uh, how much do you ride now? How much do you get out and ride and, and all that? We saw you race, obviously, but uh, how much? Man, I raced that race. Uh, was a bus almost a month ago, and then uh, a couple weeks later, I actually practiced on Saturday at Gator Back on the Supercross track, and then uh, I raced Sunday at Gator Back the 25 and 35 plus class just for fun, and uh-huh. uh, I didn't even ride practice. I didn't want to get my bike dirty. <laughs> um, 
Protestant State for the first moto, which is not a not a good uh, not a good thing to tell the kids. But right, yeah, uh, yeah. I had to take care of my kids' stuff, so I I couldn't keep up with all of it. So I went straight for the gate. Um, and that was when you raced against the CR five hundred. Was that the video I saw? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, five hundred CC of glory. Yeah, it was uh, right. I didn't even know. I knew about the story, what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But I had no clue he was in. I didn't even know after the first moto he was in the race with me. <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, but yeah, he's a he's a friend of ours. He's a local pro rider. He's he pretty almost, quick. So I almost pulled the holy. Video. I almost pulled the holy on you in that second moto. I was very upset. Uh, there's no way I'm going to let that 500 beat me to the first turn. <laughs> no um, way. Hey, so you've uh, you transitioned a little bit into uh, while you're do- you're teaching some kids in Florida every now and then. I, I, when I talk to you, and, and you've got a, a school coming back uh, coming up at Gainesville Gatorback, right? Yep. Yeah, we got a school. I got a few kids in Florida that I help. Uh, you know, off and on, depending on their schedule. And, uh, but yeah, I've been doing that a little bit a lot this past year. And, uh, that's kind of filling up my week time. And then, right. yeah, we got a, a school at Gatorback, uh, Monday. It's me, Michael Burns going to be coming, Tishner, uh, Matt Walker, and I think also, uh, Maria Lizzie, uh, uh-huh. uh, Nico's dad. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's going to be like five of us, I believe, and probably just going around the track. Should be, should be pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, and then you've been working with Trey Kennard for a couple of years, and then last year when he got hurt, you switched over to Ashley Like I guess, first let's touch on last summer working with Ashley. Uh, how was it? It was certainly a surprise to some of us to see you uh, to do that, but uh, talk about that deal, and she, she ended up winning the title, of course. Yeah, yeah, she ended up doing really well. Um, she already had the number one plate, so a little bit of pressure there. Right. Um, but uh, she'd actually asked me... Um, Prashana, Prashana contacted me over a year ago about it, helping her, and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, you know, after, you know, retiring. I was working with Trey already, but I didn't know if that was the route I was going to go. And then a year later, actually, while Trey was hurt, um, still in the hospital, Mm -hmm. uh, her dad had contacted me about helping her. So um, I had some free time, and uh, the experience was was really cool. I mean, just uh, different working with a girl racer, um, for sure. And then also, you know, her being deaf, you know, I learned some sign language and and, uh, and pick up the communication there. So, but all in all, I think it was a good experience. She was happy. She won the championship. She won more motos, I think, than she ever did. So it was cool. Right. right. Um, yeah. How was the communication? You picked up sign language. I mean, you claimed to me you were an expert at it, which made me which made me laugh. But you you actually did well, learn I, some. I was just talking. You gotta go into something being confident. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I I learned some, and then you know, honestly, she can read your lips really well. Yeah. And then I learned I learned when she didn't understand me. Because sometimes she would just go shake her head yes, and then I knew she didn't understand You're me. Like, so yeah. You yeah. Know, take a step backwards, and uh, uh-huh. but it was good. It was a challenge. It was fun though. Uh, Trey Kennard, um came mm-hmm. on to him 2010 about about beginning of the outdoors kind of, and um, you know he goes on to win that title in in stunning fashion. And and your stock just rises, uh, you know, obviously because I'm the one telling everybody that you're the reason Trey's winning. But <laughs> um, talk about working with Trey and how's that going and and, um, and all that. Uh, I know you guys are tight. You've been to Oklahoma. He's been to Florida. Um, and, and now he's recovering from a pretty serious injury. So I guess first question is how's he looking? How's the injury rehab coming? Uh, I mean, he, he looks normal. I mean, you never know, uh, you know, besides the scar. But, um, yeah, I mean, we think about it, 2010, the 
a lot has happened to him. You know, a lot of good and and you know also some bad. A lot of injuries mm-hmm. with the femurs in the back, a collarbone. But uh, so he's actually changed a lot. He's matured a lot. You know, in this amount of time. So, mm-hmm. but it's been good. It's been uh, that has been a learning process for me. Learning how to uh, you know take my experiences and you know help somebody else. Right. And uh, but he's he's done a really wonderful title, which you know. You know, I, I definitely had a part in it, but right. he was already good before I started helping him, so I don't want to take all the credit. So, I'll give it. I'll give you all of it. Um, <laughs> you, you, you always said to me that you can't really show him how to ride because the guy's an incredible rider, and you know his scrubs are phenomenal. But more like you had to calm him down um, from from the ups and the downs of pro racing. Like he, he'd be super high because he won, and if he lost, he'd be super low. Is that still? kind of where you think where you play a role like hey just everything's okay just calm down like is that kind of what you work on with him yeah i mean we definitely work on that um and there are things you know even though i can't go you know as fast as him anymore um yeah there's still a lot of things that you know that i can teach him and and pick up on when because when you're a racer man he's right now he's gonna watch him do you know videos and photo shoots and there's a lot of you know, stuff going on besides just riding motorcycles. So, right, right. Uh, that's kind of my part to pick that, you know, my spot to pick that apart and, and try to help him when I can. And a lot of, a lot of times less is more. And, uh, mm-hmm. but he's, uh, I think my experience is just in general, my role is, um, is very broad. It's, uh, right. not, not even as much about riding sometimes. Uh, it's about, you know, how to approach racing and, and, uh, you know, day-to-day life stuff. Well, um, also, too, he just wants to train and work all the time, right? Like, if he's not doing something, <laughs> he feels like he's, like, losing time, right? Wasting time. Is that kind of... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's the mentality of a lot of the riders. I wouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them right. they feel like they have to be going, going, going. But, you know, at the same time, there has to be the balance of uh, getting some rest and sleep and recovery. And mm-hmm. um, usually that's, uh, that's how you get stronger is your recovery. So, right. um He's matured a lot. So I'd say 2010 to now, he's a he's a different rider, different person. He went on. And he actually won some supercrosses in 2011. So, right. Um, but you know, last year was uh, really last year wasn't even a season for him. So it was no. only a couple races. Uh, no doubt in your mind, he can get back to winning supercross races this year. Yeah, I yeah I you know I say yes. Um, yeah. You know, without any hesitation. Uh, just seeing him and where he's at right now, the way he put, the way he took his, you know, his rehab on his back, he had to be, you know, committed. Which he already was committed, but yeah. it seems like those kind of injuries really, really make you, um, you know, want to be a hundred percent. You can give one hundred and ten percent. I think back, you know, watching a guy like Doug Henry get hurt um, and then come back out his best year. So, um, without a doubt, I think he can. Uh, yeah. He'll be a better rider uh, this Because near the end, of, and I think about the training, near the end of your career, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't out, despite me telling everybody you're out running Sandhills, um, you really, it was a structured program of some bicycling, a little bit of weights in the off season, and just riding during the week, right? It wasn't, like you had your body to the point where you knew exactly how much you needed to do and how much rest you needed. Yeah, and everybody everybody is kind of different, you know. Some dudes can do 100-mile bike rides the day after, you mm-hmm. know, a national and uh, stuff like that, and some people can't. 
So uh, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, you know, their mentalities are different, their personalities mm-hmm. are. So I think it, uh, you know, if to say there's one exact perfect way to do everything, I think you're uh, being naive. So, right. Um, yeah, I mean, you can only train so much. You're going to just be more out. So, yeah. And uh, that's why some of these dudes get mono or, you know, they lose a lot of weight and there's a lot of, uh, what is it, like Epstein Barr hasn't been around in a while, but. Yeah, I think it came oh, back. It came back a little bit. Yeah, it came back a little bit. Um, yeah, it kind of disappeared there for a while, huh? Yeah, I did. I don't. I don't know what happened. I mean, did you ever actually trace back to what you got in '03? I mean, was it? Did you figure out it was Epstein Barr? Do you believe in that? Do you think it's just being overtired, or what? What, what are your thoughts on all that? You know, I mean, after after all of a sudden done, I just straight up think that you're basically wore out and uh, you need some rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and you, you might need a day, you might need a week, you might need a month. You know, right. uh, I, I, I think it's just from what I've found out, they just they label it chronic fatigue, Epstein Barr. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So a lot of times it can come not even physically, it can be mental. Um, right. So, yeah, and that's why it disappeared. Obviously, it's gone already. Right, right. Um, yeah. It'll resurface in ten more years. Don't worry. Hey, you. Um... When you were racing, uh, for you made good friends with Ronnie Tishner, uh, former factory Suzuki rider, and he kind of sh- helped you early in your career. And then even when I worked for you or when you were at Cowie, you would get Ronnie in a little bit here and there to sharpen up your riding skills. Or, or Ronnie had an ability to stand there and see what you were doing wrong. He knew you so well. Do you find yourself now thinking back and using and talking a little bit like Ronnie Tishner in some, some ways, like was he an influence on your, your, uh, coaching, let's say. Yeah, well, he, yeah, I would say definitely 100%. He, uh, that's why I say you don't have to be as fast as the rider to, mm-hmm. to really help somebody out. And, and, uh, you know, somebody like Ronnie is, is working every day, um, with riders trying to make them faster. I don't care what level they are. Mm-hmm. So he, that's what his job is. You know, he does it every single day, and uh, and he's good at it. Just like a mechanic is really, really good at being a mechanic. You try to get him to do something else, he can't do it. So, um, like media guy, like media yeah. stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't know how you pulled that one off. By the way, I think <laughs> you never were a mechanic. I think deep down you're always a media guy. <laughs> right. right. Um, but uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, Ronnie had a, a big influence on me when I couldn't beat Carmichael. I started searching. I'm like, man, this guy beats me every weekend. I feel like I'm training good. Um, and there was stuff that he came out and picked up on. And, you know, I had him out a few times a year at least, uh, you know, through my whole, the rest of my career from 02 on. So, uh-huh. so yeah, he was he was kind of an influence on you. Um, let's get in the time machine. Let's go back. Let's go back to, to the young Tim Ferry. Um, how many Loretta's titles did you win? Seven? Yeah, I got seven letters. Yep. Okay. At the time, when you're winning them, obviously the sport is way different now than it was then. But, I mean, were you getting a lot of attention from teams and from manufacturers when you were racking up Loretta titles? No. It, man, it's totally different now. Like, a lot of the titles I won, um, I was a team green for a couple of them. And, I mean, that was basically like, hey, here's a couple stock bikes. Right. Um, there was one year I won two titles. I didn't even have a like. We bought a one bike that we had for the whole year. Um, so there was no teams interested in looking or 
it was Suzuki was the main push back then, uh-huh. and uh, in the lights class, the 125 class, and and Azure got that spot kind of coming out of the amateurs. Um, so there really wasn't a lot of rides like that back then. Your main guys were Ezra and Dement. I would say Ezra Dement. Um, and as a kid, Hayden Richards, Brett Mel, and there was a bunch of kids back then. Mm-hmm. They just never really made it to the pro level. Um, right. But on many bikes, they were always pretty good and a lot of times better than me. <laughs> now, in 91, you raced, you could race pro and Loretta's back then. So that's kind of what you did, right? You started, your first pro, pro national, according to the records, was Binghamton in 91. Yeah, 91, I was doing. I don't know, what was I doing in 91? I, I wasn't racing Supercross. I think I did Loretta's and then uh, a couple Nationals. And then the next year, 92, I did Supercross, Nationals, and Loretta's also. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, was, I, didn't even, I didn't even race all the Supercrosses. Who decided that? Like Cowie or Team Green? Or you and your dad? <laughs> I think... I, I don't know. Who knows? I think that I, my deal was with Team Green is I had to race Loretta's. Okay. Um... And Rossini at RRP, he helped me to do the Supercross stuff, um, along with the Nationals, too. So. Right. With, um, I was actually still going to school then, too. I, I did Supercross and went to high school. And you were racing, like, the Florida Winter Ams, right, on Sundays after the Supercrosses. Yeah, I would fly from Supercrosses from, like, Houston and fly in Sunday morning with no practice and go straight race uh, at, like, Dade City Winter Ams. <laughs> so... I was make I was making double or triple the money doing that uh, than I was in right. a Supercross race getting and you like, know top of teams and like no pro teams were interested in you nothing like just Ezra got no. the spot and that was it, it, it <laughs> yeah and there was this little bit of buzz um, for D, uh, I think it was a DGY was a yeah. big team back then yeah they kind of wanted me to come uh, ride for the team in '93 and uh, I opted to stay with RRP and then. In 94, I rode Honda out of a dealership out of Florida. And, uh, the Fender Bar is actually on the dealership. And then uh, 94 is when I actually, believe it or not, moved in with Tishner out of high school. I was out of high school. Right. I was uh, getting more serious about it, um, even though I was a third-year pro. Yeah, like and, uh, you started training and stuff like that? Like actually, like... Yeah, yeah. Ronnie would go. He was racing in Japan, but he would go cycling. He'd basically wake me up and make me go cycling with him. Right, right. And, uh, and I just it just got better, and I had a better bike that year. And, uh, and then uh, the next year is when Suzuki picked me up, so... Um, tell, t- tell the story. When did you go to Japan? 91? The end of 91? Because of Yokohama Tires? Yeah, I think 90... Yeah, 91 I went. Uh, 91, 92... So I won a trip in no, I won a trip in nineteen ninety. Okay. And uh so you we go bought our Yokohama tires at Loretta's. <laughs> right. You bought your tires, Yokohama's, you won titles with them and the winner got to go. I remember the ad. Yokohama placed an ad. Hey, we will send you to Japan if you win with our tires. Um yeah. and you you got the cho- so you just started racing a pro supercross in Japan? That was that was how it worked? Well the first year in ninety, I I I was only fifteen, so I just went and watched. Mm-hmm. The next year, um, I was, yeah, I went straight to it and two, rode a 250 and was riding against, like, <laughs> dude, Rick Johnson and Jeff Ward. I was, like, uh, I was just a kid. Right. And uh, I was there by myself. My dad and nobody came with me. And, uh, you know, the guy that was that was running Yokohama at the time, actually importing them, 
Um, he came with me, Zane McCasey, and uh, but that was a uh, you know actually Rossini went with me there too, but uh, I crashed out, come out of the whole shot like second, first or second I think, yeah, the main event and blew off and then the camera guy. <laughs> That was the end of my ninety one. That was it. That was your exposure to uh, to pro to pro moto. Yeah, I I whole shot at. I think I whole shot at Rick Johnson. I think Wardy was the only one to beat me to the first turn that race. Uh, Ah, whole shot like basically my heroes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on a two fifty, which you never rode too much. On a two fifty, I never hardly rode two fifty ever. Um, in ninety two, you got a ninth at Southwick and a ninth at Troy, Ohio. On 125 national. I didn't know that. Yeah, pretty good, right? For this would be your really your first full year of pro 92. Yeah, 92. Yep. What do you remember? I didn't. I didn't realize that. What do you remember from those races? Anything? I don't remember anything actually. <laughs> uh, the only thing I the only thing I remember uh, is I was living in Jersey a lot uh, mm-hmm. with Rossini, and we would drive to all the nationals in, our, in the box stand. Right. So that's all I remember. Why this? Um, why this switch from Cowie to Yamaha for '93? How did that? Was that Rossini uh, backed or? I think Yamaha Yamaha stepped up and helped uh, Rossini. You know, helped me through Rossini or whatever. Right. And uh, gave us bikes and stuff for the year. And uh, and then after that, '93 wasn't a good year. '93 was honestly that bike wasn't that good. Right. And uh, and that was my senior year of high school. And you got two two podiums, just, two podiums in Supercross. 93? Yeah. Yeah, one was probably Daytona. That was kind of easy for me. No, Charlotte and Pontiac. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Who knows? Who knew? Uh, but 93 wasn't a, wasn't a, wasn't a stellar year. Yeah. And, uh, so I didn't, even, I didn't even get a ride offer at all for bikes next year. Were you making any money at this point or no? Nothing. Just purse money? You know what? I mean, I was hustling. <laughs> because I was doing, I was doing every money race possible, mm-hmm. and doing the Supercross and Nationals. And I was, I mean, I grew up, you know, you know, fairly poor, so right. I didn't spend money on nothing. So yeah, like I hear, sto- uh, I hear stories about you going to Loretta's and winning Loretta's with a with a three rail trailer, buy a couple bikes on a three rail trailer. Yeah, well, I won most of my titles that way, pretty much. There was no big um, motorhomes. There was no big, you know, big setup for you and the, the Ferry family. No, my, my parents didn't have the money to do that, and uh, and they had just barely enough money to get me to racing. So yeah. we actually stayed. There's seriously probably about six or eight of us staying a friend of ours enclosed trailer with an AC on it. That's where we camped out and slept. Jeez. Um, um. So okay, so Yamaha. So then in '94 you switch to Honda. Rossini gets Honda help, and that's when you start taking it seriously with Tishner. Yeah, I was I was out of as soon as I graduated from high school. Uh-huh. Uh, a friend of mine knew Ronnie because he lived up by Ronnie up in the area where all the riders live, and uh-huh. and he kind of mentioned something to Ronnie uh, one time. He's like, "Hey, you should have Timmy come live with you." And I didn't even know Ronnie; I just knew of him. Right. I didn't even know he knew me. And uh, and uh, so I got on the phone with him, and he invited me up, and uh, he uh, I lived at his house with him and trained with him. And then when he was gone to Japan, I. Uh, um, I still stayed at his house, you know, I mean, spent, spent time between New Jersey and Florida. Right. And, uh, I was already da- dating my wife at the time. So, and she lived pretty close to there. So, um, it always seemed to work out really good. Yep. It's that time again. Time for a commercial. Thank you everybody for listening to the BTO sports. 
Facebook.com RacerX Podcast Show. Listen to these commercials from BTOsports.com. Use the code Steve and JT Racing. Thank you, JT Racing, for coming on board. Listen to these commercials, support the sponsors, and yeah, then we'll get back to the show. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com Podcast Show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston Goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at btosports.com. JT Racing USA is back to reestablish its deep roots in the motocross industry with an all-new, innovative line of racewear and casual wear. While bringing many of JT's strongest design elements from its golden years back to life, the racewear is constructed with the highest grade material on the market and has a technological fit, feel, and function that is sure to raise the bar in how motocross gear is being built. JT has relaunched itself back into motocross with the Pro Tour jersey, classic pants, lifeline, and flex feel gloves in eight colorways with an assortment of men's and women's casual wear to add to its collection. By redefining the meaning of airflow, JT has incorporated its airline system technology into this collection and have launched their all-new ALS2 helmet in seven colorways to complete the rebirth of the brand. The wait is over. The and you had to have been a little bitter at this point because it, in 93, 94, Yogi's winning races on a factory Suzuki bike. Yeah, you know, I, when I look back, I always put Yogi on a on a pedestal a little bit. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I don't think I was that bitter. I was just a kid, man. I, <laughs> it's not really, I don't think I was really that worried about it. Right, uh, right. I mean, I just, I had a new F, uh, Ford Ranger pickup truck and, I was just happy. I wasn't training really that hard or doing a whole lot. So <laughs> uh, I, I was just riding on. I was riding on talent, to be completely honest. Oh, geez, there we go. Um, so okay, so ninety four, ninety five, you get a factory Suzuki ride. But when does that? Like, how does that happen? Does is it Pat Alexander? I guess back then, because Roger's not there. Uh, wh- when do they approach you? When do they find you? And are, and you're probably blown away that they want you to ride factory Suzuki. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Ray Chenerton, they call him Buzzard, was the first one to kind of contact me. Um, I think back through Tishner because he had ties with Suzuki, okay. and uh, and uh, so that's when they were interested in me. And they, I mean, they had to they had to pick me up pretty much because in '94, I think I got third in Supercross overall, possibly. Um, and the two Suzuki riders they had were moving out of the class or something, so I was kind of like the next guy, you know, to take that that Suzuki ride and. Uh, I think I signed a deal with 24 G's. 24 grand? Um, <laughs> 24 grand, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was pumped, and uh, they sent me some stock practice bikes. <laughs> I didn't even get, like, like bikes that were done out there were stock. Yeah. Just, that was just how it was back then. Right, right. Um, but then you got to make your gear deal, and everything. I mean, you were just rolling in it. Oh, yeah, six grand for my gear deal. Dude, I was... <laughs> Pop. And you wore UFO too. It's like, why? How did that? Why would you do that? I think my I think I had an offer from Fox that year for like fifteen hundred bucks. Oh yeah, so six and, grand. Uh, six grand was quite a bit different. Oh yeah, it was a lot, a lot more. And the, dude, they, they sent me gear for the whole year in a huge box. Yeah, and you had to bring it to the races. Yeah, there was no helmet guys back then. Right, there's no nothing back then. Um, <laughs> funny how the sport has changed, right? Like now you're like, you, you know. 
the, the equal to you gets uh you know a couple hundred thousand dollars and and all the gear and helmets and stuff they could take um what what do you um i guess you know what was really cool was rossini played a big part in uh in all your uh early racing career and, and you've stayed friends with him to this day I, th- I always think that was pretty cool like rossini really got you going as as a pro- professional motocrosser yeah, he really, yeah, really did because, um, you know, without him actually taking me to those races, uh, I couldn't really afford I think, you know what, one of the first couple of nationals I went to, um, they didn't give me an airline ticket uh, to fly up, and I was I was not sure if I was going to go. And, uh, but I actually, me and my dad took a bus ride from West Palm to Orlando, and we got in with Bear Dog, who, uh, oh, brother owned Gatorback. Yeah. Him and, uh, like Kyle Myers, and he drove all the way to, uh, either Mount Morris or the Still City. I think it was Mount Morris. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I raced, and we drove back home. And, uh, but yeah, if he wouldn't have, you know, done what he did to, uh, to get me those first few years, I mean, you know, my career could have been, yeah. They see nothing. So, and how did he? Um, how did he approach you? Because he's in New Jersey. You're in Florida. Was it like he wanted just a top amateur guy, and he saw your Loretta's? Is that kind of how it all happened? Well, no, a friend of ours, a friend of his, uh, Fred Bertucci, who actually still has a company in BPE. He uh, he was in Florida one time, and he kept telling Mike that. And there's this kid down there because he had moved from Florida towards the boys in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. There's a kid down here. You got to pick him up. He's really, really good. And uh, so that's how. It, I, the, the conversation struck up. I think in '91, uh, I first met Mike for the first time at Loretta's, and uh, he had a top-up shop, and and, uh, and it kind of all went from there. And um, but yeah, he was a big help. My dad still talks to him quite a bit. Um, I talk to him once in a while. I haven't talked to him right. uh, since my last kid was born, but yeah, uh, we keep in touch a little bit. And he's uh, he's on doing he's doing car racing stuff now. Right. Uh, he builds uh, race cars and car engines. Cool. Um, so 95, Suzuki, who's your teammates? Yogi? Albie? Yeah, Craig, De- Craig Decker, Yogi, I think Huff- and Huffman. Sam and Huffman. And what about Albie? Is Albie there yet? You know what, yeah, Albie was there, and when I signed my deal to go there, Roger wasn't there yet. I just kept hearing rumbles that Roger was, was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sure enough, Roger did end up coming. My first day testing with them, just Ray Tetherton came with me. Me and him... Uh, I met him out at Glen Helen. They had a supercraft guy there. It was just me and him testing the first day. Oh, wow. Um, but you, so, won, you won the opener in Orlando. Debut ride. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that bike was, you know, I look back at my career. Mm-hmm. There was times that I really second-guessed myself, uh, you know, my preparation, my dedication, this and that. But, and whenever I had a really good bike, I always did really well. And that was one of those years that the bike was just, it was on compared mm-hmm. to everybody else. And, um, yeah, I won the opener. I beat Pashan. And then, uh, I think I might have won another race and then right. I broke my jaw. You so. won Daytona. You won High Point. Yeah. Third at Bud's Creek and third at, at uh, Southwick. At this point, I think you're the points leader outdoors. Yeah, I think I was a points leader. And then at Troy, Ohio, I tore a ligament on my thumb. And, uh, and then it was kind of a little bit downhill from there. And then the next year, Suzuki came out with all new bikes, yep. and they were just absolutely horrible. <laughs> um, they were just slow, and they didn't do anything super bad, but they just weren't—they weren't up to uh, the standards of, of the year before. Right. I just 
and I always thought it was me. I'm like, man, I'm, and everybody was getting down on me. Yeah. You know, Roger was bummed on me, and you know, I think the team was bummed out a little bit. But uh, just getting the bike, it, just, it sucked. Well, to be and, fair, uh, to be fair, too, uh, you've told me this before. You weren't exactly, uh, you know, Lance Armstrong at this point. You were, you, you know, you still were finding your way as a, as a kid. Yeah, no, I still was. I mean, I was, you know, I was doing more. But right. when you watch what these kids do nowadays, and that kind of bums me out sometimes to hear people say, "Ah, oh, the kids, the youth these days." Um, the kids that are riding now, man, they take it really serious. Yeah, uh, they might be, they might be goofballs and make their you know their Instagram photos and all that crap. Right. But they're really actually riding and training a lot more than we used to back in the day. Yeah, it's it's a full little uh, homeschooling little mini factory now where you're just producing, you know, serious motocross racers. Yeah, and the teams, man, the teams are doing a really good job. I I commend them for you know, not just Mitch and you know now the Geico team, but mm-hmm. you know even the the Troy Lee team and the, and those types of teams are really bringing the riders straight out of the amateurs and giving them good opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the first time they come, they go pro. They're at a track, taking yeah. ours riding, or German grass air testing, or right. You know, that makes a big difference when you're when you're a you know a sixteen, seventeen year old kid. Well, I did a podcast with Buddy Antonis, and you know, he was before your time, but Buddy was the shit, right? I mean, Buddy was the the number oh, one yeah. amateur guy. Okay, so he gets a ride with Factory Suzuki when he's sixteen, and he's telling me about how he's at the. They just said, "See you at the races, kid." And his parents had jobs, so he would go to the races by himself and get a cab and airplanes and try to figure out what to do. And I'm just blown away by this. You have this this superstar amateur kid, and there's no – it's just throwing him to the wolves. That would never happen yeah. today, you know? <laughs> no, no, I definitely wouldn't. And uh, yeah, the first time I ever won an outdoor moto in 95, um, I – was there alone by myself. Um, I sucked at Gatorback, but I was I went like five one. I got third overall. They wa- I kept getting a pull over. No, they they weren't giving me pull over. But uh, I think Roger was telling Lee to tell me to pull over to let Huffman by, mm-hmm. so he would win the overall. Well, I didn't pull over, and then I think Rhino wanted. He got second. I got third. And uh, I remember being back of the truck, so excited. I'm, I'm you know I'm a nineteen year old kid. Yeah. I'm there completely alone, other than Lee, who was on mechanic, who kind of took care of me at the time, yeah. uh, because he was in a box van, and uh, I had nobody to even tell. Like, I was like, right. and I got back to the hotel, like, and I, the team was kind of bummed on me, so I left the track, went to the hotel, and I'm like, I'm going to call. Called my mom and dad, called my, called my girlfriend, my wife now. Couldn't get a hold of anybody <laughs> to tell them that I had just won. A, a national moto and got on the podium, which I had never done before. Right, right. And uh, here I am sitting in a hotel room all alone. Like, yeah. I can't even, like, <laughs> tell anybody. Yeah. You could have called me. I would have still been happy for you. I didn't even know you then. Uh, I was in Canada in 95. But anyways, you could have called me anyways. Um, you probably didn't have, you didn't have cell phones up there by then. Or you didn't have landlines. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even have cell phones back then, bud. Um, I didn't. Yeah, it's just different. I couldn't believe that Buddy Antonez, you know, and he just, I mean, this was just the guy. And nowadays that would just never happen. Like you said, these teams are just, these guys are just brought up and sheltered and, and, and every advantage is given to them, you know. And it's, and it's nothing, and, you know, when we talk about this, you and I, you, nobody's to blame because it just, nobody got it. It didn't happen. It just wasn't around. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And so I, I think right right now, I think it's the way it should be. Um, you know, you know, there, there's a lot of bad that comes out of it. There is some big entourages and a lot of people hanging on, but yeah. at the same time, uh, this is a professional sport, and the riders that are coming into the pros need to be really mm-hmm. compensated and uh, and rewarded. You know, it's a lot of work to get here. I do feel like the kids nowadays, though, like look at Justin Bogle, who I like, and he's a good kid. But, uh, and that's just one example, I'm not picking on him, but you saw the way he handled, he handled the rejection or crashing or bad things happened to him. He didn't handle them well. And I think that's yeah. the byproduct because all these kids are told from when they're four, five years old how special they are and everything is given to them. And, and sure, they work, they work hard, um, but you also don't learn to be humbled at all. And Bogle is one example of a guy who didn't handle adversity well, and there's many guys like that. Um, so that's the downside to it, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the downside to it, and and that's just as much you know the way things are run and operated now. Um, and it's it's not hard, and I and I and I went factory privateer, factory privateer, right? And you do. I don't care what you say; you always take it for granted. Um, you know, once everything is kind of becoming easy to you, it's yeah. just, yeah. I mean, that must be human nature. But uh, to some extent, you're still like, you take it, you know, take it for granted no matter what. I, and I did at times through my career, just not realizing right. how bad it was until the rug was pulled back out from underneath you again. Right. Uh, when do you break your jaw? When does Denny Stevenson run into you? Yeah, I bro- broke my jaw in 95 at a Supercross in, I think, Houston. Okay. Uh, once again, I was alone. Um and uh, Rossini actually happened to be there with some other riders. Um, so he went to the hospital, or met me at the hospital, but I was, uh, yeah, I was alone, bleeding out of my ear with a broken jaw. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I broke my jaw, and then my first race back was, uh, was Hangtown for the outdoors. Uh, 90, so, and then, okay, so 96, uh, what happens in 96? I see you don't finish the whole outdoor season. Do you get hurt? Yeah, I got hurt in Supercross and Pontiac, and my bike cut out, and, uh, I tore my ACL, and then uh, I came back and raced some, and I finally blew it out at Washugo completely, oh, and I right. had that surgery. The JT Baggy Gear race. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, hey. But, uh, yeah, I got that fixed, and then I uh, came back in 97. But Suzuki only hired me because there was nobody else really to hire that was as good as me. In At the end of 96, and, you mean? Uh, at the end of 96, your contract was up? Yeah, at the end of, yeah. Yeah, at the end of 96. Um, and, uh... You- the, the 96 year was just horrible. And, uh, you and Roger, nobody, you and Roger weren't getting along very well either. No, we didn't, we didn't get along. And, and, you know, as I get older, I kind of understand him more. Um, but he was really focused on the 250 bike, uh, and the riders, you know, much like the way things are run now. And, uh, the 125s, which was Suzuki's dominant program was really strong. And mm-hmm. so he came in. And uh, and that that whole pro- the lights looks like five were in the toilet because he was focused on the big guys. Um, I just happened to be in that transition of you know Suzuki not having a good lights uh, lights program and focusing more on Greg Albertine and Mike Rocco and Jeremy McGrath. Um, yeah, the lights guys kind of got pushed to the side at that point. Yeah, because your your bike was sticking the ring and 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 you would tell people and like they kind of didn't really pay attention to your or care. In, 90, in 96, I passed Carmichael at Millville, was pulling away, and the ring stuck. And uh, 
No, no. Carmichael turned pro in 97. 97, sorry. Right. Um, and it was always drifting back. And uh, they all thought I was just getting tired, but Yogi was having the same problems. I think Bashan had dropped back down the lights class that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, our bikes were just, they just, they were terrible. Hey, in, um, in 97, how'd you get along with, well, there was the, in 97, there was the Rocco and McGrath tension, right? And there was different forks being used. And, 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 and did you, did you know any of that going on? I mean, was was it was it bad underneath the the, the tent? No, I mean I was I was kind of naive to that, and then also, the, like I said, the lights class was 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 a sideshow. Uh, Roger and the crew, you know, really never came out and did full testing sessions with the lights with the lights guys that much. Yeah. Um, in Supercross, I don't think he ever even come out in '97. Um, Unless it was, you know, the, the 250 class. So, right. um, that was a big team for Suzuki that year. I think, you know, the 125 stuff kind of got left behind with having that many riders and not enough staff. Right. It was MC, LaRocco, Alby. Michelle, me, and Ezra, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, but hey. A lot, a lot of guys. Uh, you managed to win the title, though, without winning a race, which, which gets brought up quite a bit to me, and uh, I don't care. You still won the title. Yeah, I don't really care either. Um, <laughs> you went two, but, uh, two, two, yeah, two, just, two, five, fa- two. I wasn't the fastest guy. Yeah, um, RC was pretty much. RC was, RC was the fastest guy. I think John Dow was still a little bit faster. Can't believe I'm saying that, but because <laughs> he was on a, on a one twenty five, he's only known as a big bike guy, really. But yeah. Um, those guys were a little bit faster than me, but they just kept crashing. And, uh, you know, I could ride my pace the whole, the whole 15 laps and, right. and uh, I was just consistent. It was a, uh, I really focused on that supercross that year because 96, I came off that knee injury uh-huh. and, uh, it was, all my sponsors were kind of down on me. So I really buckled down and, and focused well. But by the time we got to the outdoors, the bike just started going to crap and, and, uh, I kind of personally gave it up to be honest, just yeah. like, Throwing hands up in the air. So, um, how much uh, did you know about Carmichael coming up? I mean, did you know was he riding with you then? Did you know him? Did, was it like, oh, this shit, this kid is coming? Or, um, no, I don't. I, yeah, I knew Carmichael. I've known him since he was a little, you know. Yeah, uh, in the sixties, from down to my house in Idaho, Florida, and then I spent a lot of summers up, you know, by them near the Tampa area. Um. You know, staying with him, going riding at Croom and stuff. So, you know, I knew him. I kind of lost touch a little bit of the era when he was dominating the amateurs right before he came in. Just right. because as a pro, you don't really see that that much. Right, right. You're concentrated on pro stuff. So, I didn't know how good he was. Um, but yeah, I I knew him. He was. I mean, in that year, I think I think I mean, seven. He was at my wedding, and uh, so I knew. You know, I knew Ricky pretty well. So, did you, but did you think he'd be that um, quick? Did you think he'd be able to beat you? Yeah, I I thought he would be. Mm-hmm. I thought he would. Yeah, and I thought he would also be. But I thought he would be a little bit more consistent. Right, right. Um, but you know, that was a long time ago, so it's kind of hard to <laughs> to really know what I was thinking then. Uh, how much was your championship bonus? I think it was fifty thousand. Oh yeah, so you made 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 big money. All right? Yeah, no, it can't be fifty. No, it wasn't fifty thousand. There's no way. That seems like a lot. Yeah, I think my salary was fifty. I think right. Um, no, my my championship was definitely maybe 
Maybe 15. I don't know. I'll look it up. When Denny Stevenson was an agent for Josh Grant, he added up what he would have made in 1990 had he make, was making Josh Grant money when he won the title. And it was uh, $1.5 million. So he, he likes to... Dude, I'm in, I won a Supercross. I think my bonus was five grand. And I was just on top of the world. Right. Um, so did you want? Did you feel a little bit, uh, a little bit vindicated as far as Roger and the team is concerned? Like, hey, jackasses, look, I won this title. Like, check me out. Even though you guys don't care. Yeah, I kind of did. Um, but just as quickly as this, as everybody knows in this sport, you know, we're on to the outdoors, and they wasn't doing us good. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and then so, nobody I mean, cares. That's, that's the nature of the sport. And, and you know, jumping forward, I really, really think if I didn't have my 07, 08 um, years, I think my name would be, you know, not nearly as uh, attractive to, to people. Because um, I, kind of, I was on my downward spiral there with my wrist and stuff. And uh, right. to like an 07-08 just kind of like made me, with the motocross and nations and all that stuff, uh, made me, you know, mortals to some extent for whatever reason. Uh-huh. Uh, I would have been one of those guys, I think, that kind of fell off um, if I hadn't had those motocross and nations wins. Right, right. Well, yeah, and yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. I mean, you being a privateer, when, when, when I start working for you. Um, yeah, 97, you got 16th at Hangtown and 16th at High Point. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, clear fifth at Hang Glen Helen, fourth at Bud's Creek, fifth at Southwick. So you're doing all right, but you're not not exactly where you should be outdoors. Yeah, you got more stuff. Where do you find this stuff? This is on the vault on Racer X. It's there's actually a, a whole website devoted to your to everybody's finishes. Really? I can even go up and look up rollerballs finishes. That's um, pretty cool. I'm have to check that out. I didn't. I didn't know that. I just. Yeah, 97 outdoors, man. I, I just wasn't pumped. Right. And, and like you said, you you, did, you threw the towel in a little bit near the end? I did. I, yeah, completely honest. I was I was completely over it. I think the last few weeks that I raced, I don't think I even practiced at all during the week. I was so over it. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, and but you as a defending champion, you tried to stay in the class, right? But you got kicked out. Yeah, they, they wouldn't let you defend your title. So, yeah, I ended up getting... I got kicked out of that. So, and, and did you have yep. a did you that have a ride lined up if you would have been able to stay in the twenty fives? Yeah, Suzuki was going to give me another ride if I could stay in the in the class. Um, but uh, the weird thing is that I thought Suzuki would kind of go in there to kind of fight for me. Uh huh. You know, just to be able to have it on one plate. But right. They, uh, I guess they weren't that interested. Yeah. So you only. <laughs> so that was it for Suzuki, and no one else wanted to, not, nothing else available for big bike rides. Now, you know, that year, I think, uh, it was, man, they, they didn't give you a ride for the next year. Nobody hooked you up. There was a lot of good guys that next year, and there was a lot of rides back then, too, and I just wasn't good enough. It's, you know, crazy. Back, it's crazy, though, that the defending champion can't, can't get a ride with somebody, a decent deal. Yeah, but I think my outdoor season had spiraled so bad <laughs> that... Uh, I and I and I was I had no experience whatsoever. I kept wanting the ride to two fifty class to get some experience. Right. But uh it would never give me the opportunity to do it. So I never could show them. And had I been able to, because I think I was a better big bike rider later on. Right. 
oh, maybe, maybe I, if I had a few races, they go, I'm going to start kicking around a big bike. Maybe yeah. I would have had, uh, had more opportunity. Yeah, you did 250 Supercrosses way early in your career, just for, for some experience. But other than that, that was it, right? Yeah, once I got to Suzuki, I never did any more. I don't even think at 94, I didn't any either. Right, right. Um, and, and so, yeah, Roger's just like, see you later. You can't, you can't defend your title. You're out. How does the Nolene ride come about? Nolene Yamaha, 98. Um, well, I was just kind of back when Nolene was strong at one point. Right. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think Clark, uh, was Clark Jones was still, was running it back then. Uh, I honestly don't know how they even got a hold of me or I got a hold of them, to be honest. They, uh. Yeah. I have no idea. Right. I didn't have an agent or anything like that. So. Did you make a salary from them um, or no? No, just gear money? Yeah, I actually did. Oh, you did? No, I actually did make a salary, yeah. They gave me a little salary. It wasn't much. And then uh, a box fan, they let me hire Dave Dyes on mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're actually, honestly, they were actually pretty cool to me. Yeah. I'd say the bikes, the bikes weren't really, you know, nothing to really, like, you know, rave over. But right. um, they gave me a pretty good opportunity. On Yamahas, and and, and and you wanted to go to 250 Supercross? You didn't want to ride 125 Supercross? Oh, you couldn't. Never mind. Never mind. You couldn't. I, I, could, I couldn't, and uh, I was still nervous to ride 250 Outdoor, so I went back to the 125 Outdoor that year, right. um, which ended up not being you know being a good move. I think that year, in 98, I tore my ACL in Supercross. Well, that's what, yeah, um, like second round or third round, it was like, you know, I was, I was wrenching by then, and yeah, the, the word on the street was Red Dog's done, tore his knee up. <laughs> yeah, I was been done a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, yeah tore my knee. I had an ACL, and I came back to the outdoors, and I never did anything great. They ended up giving me another ride for the next year, mm-hmm. and I was actually pretty pretty good the next year. I had more time on the 250, and right. was uh, was riding it really well. And uh, so yeah, I, um, I, I think I ended up being a better big bike rider. Ninety eight though, you you, uh, you you told me this story a few times over the years. You did a you did a very smart thing where you took a lot of your money that you had and, and bought some land out in Dade City. Yeah, I did actually. I think uh, this was I did that. But you you told me at the time this it totally strapped you financially. You were like, oh, shit. Yeah, at the end of ninety seven, I got married and I bought twenty acres um, an hour from where I lived at because I didn't have a track to ride at and. Uh, you know, without moving to California, so yeah. I made a big, a huge gamble, and I had some money saved up. But uh, yeah, that was a risky move. That could have that could have really backfired. But yeah, could have. Uh, built built my own supercross track and uh, had my own facility, even as a profiteer, and uh, ended up actually working out really well. Um, well, I think this is the end of part one. Let's call it. Let's call it part one because we got a lot more to get into. Uh, including, we'll start. Yeah, those, honestly, those years aren't. I don't remember them as much, and I don't think they're as good. So, well, <laughs> I, I think that you you really start getting good in '99 when you know Steve Mathis comes into your life. I will definitely say, from that point on, I was definitely a much better rider. Yes, and I like to. I, think, don't, I don't know if it was if it was the lows or what I was going through, or if it was the mechanics. I'm not sure. I remember joining you. You know, I came back from Germany. And I remember the first race, the second race, you jumped over MC's head at Tampa, and I was like, this guy's pretty good. Shit. He's actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I rode really well in the home race. Right. And, uh, yeah, I was riding really well there. I don't, 
I think I ended up maybe slipping and falling or something. But yeah, we'll, um, we'll get to that. Plus the fact we'll also get to the fact that you didn't you thought I was somebody else when you went to go pick me up for yeah, the first time. That, that's the best part. Everybody right. will love that. Right. Uh, all right. Hey, the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast part one with Tim Ferry. We go to the end of 98, basically, and uh, we'll pick it up uh, part two, uh, hopefully soon. And uh, a lot more to talk about, including uh, um, Motocross Nations and Moto Triple X and a comeback once okay. again. What about, what, about, uh, what about Bud Creek first moto and come across? Oh, you know we're going to get to those. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Hey, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, we'll do part two uh, real soon. Sounds good. See you. Later. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to find the more than 200 episode archive or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix.